On Thursday afternoon, many of us gathered here at the church to celebrate the life of Issy Wadi. Now, for those of you who didn't know Issy or get to know her, she was a uh, a friend to many people at Woodmont in the Nashville community. She was a leader uh, at this church, uh, served on the board, served as a deacon. But two years ago, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, which basically means when she found out she had colon cancer, it had already metastasized uh, into her liver. And uh, many of us walked the journey with her. Her journey became Woodmont's uh, journey because that's the church when it's at its best. Uh, but despite her diagnosis, she never gave up hope, and she never gave up faith, and she took the situation that she was given, and she used it for good. She used it to raise awareness. She used it to raise money. She used it to tell people to pay attention to their bodies and to do self-care, uh, to find work-life balance, to make their families and their friends a priority. She took a very difficult situation, and she made the most of it. But losing a friend or a loved one at Christmas time is hard because we think of Christmas as a happy time, a festive time, a time to be with friends and family. But the truth is Christmas is not all happiness and excitement. It's not all glitz and glamour. Bad things happen to people, things that do not make sense. And so pain is real and, and, and loss and grief is real. And for many people, Making it through the holidays is tough for many reasons. And so tonight at 5.30, we're going to have a service in Jerwoda Hall that's geared for, it's open to anybody, but anybody who might be having a difficult time this Christmas. It's called A Thrill of Hope, and it will be full of music and hope and encouragement. Sigmund Freud, the famous psychiatrist, once said this. He said, life as we find it is too hard for us. It brings us too many pains and disappointments and impossible tasks. He says, we're threatened with suffering from three distinct areas. First, he says, from our own body, which is doomed to decay and deteriorate over time, and, and we all know that. Secondly, he said, from the external world, which will rage against us with overwhelming and merciless forces of destruction, including earthquakes and floods and other natural disasters. But finally, Freud said, we are threatened with suffering from our relationships. Our relationships to other human beings, to each other. And the suffering that comes to us from this source, he said, is the most painful of all. This is the suffering that we inflict upon each other. And whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, it's still real. And every human being knows what that pain feels like. And I think Freud was telling the truth. He wasn't a, a person of faith. In fact, he, he, his life kind of ended in, in depression and despair. But life is not always easy, and it can hurt. And for many, the pain that comes from these different sources can be overwhelming. But the truth is, life has always had its tragedies and its, dis, its, its difficulties. There have always been setbacks and disappointments and hardships and struggle. There's never been a time, if you think about it, in the history of the world when everything was just fine, when everything was just good. There might be times in our own lives when we feel like everything's good, I'm, I'm good, I'm okay, but in the history of the world, there's always been something going on uh, that, that, that is, a, is a struggle, that's, that brings pain. 
History and scripture tell us that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, it was a world of poverty, a world of heavy taxation, and you had tyrannical rulers like King Herod who wanted to put all the newborn babies to death. The literature of that time tells us that the Israelite people lived with little hope for the future. They lived under Roman occupation. One writer even put it this way. He said, the world was perishing, rotting, decaying, and reaching its end. And so it makes perfect sense that in foretelling the birth of Jesus Christ, the prophet Isaiah says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. But we do find ourselves, I think, asking the question, maybe not every year, but, but often, can Christmas still be magical in a world that has great suffering and loss? Can it still bring hope in a world that often seems hopeless? How do we celebrate Christmas and Advent in a world where we know that all is not well in the lives of many people? People that are homeless, people that are hungry, people that are grieving, people that are overseas at war, people that are sad or depressed. But yet, if we take the time to ask that question, and to think about that question, I think the question is not how can we celebrate Christmas in a world like this. The question is how we desperately need Christmas in a world where everything is not okay. A world like ours where there is darkness and pain and grief and depression and addiction and divisions and families desperately needs the hope that Christmas brings. Christmas brings hope into our lives and hope into our families and hope into our marriages, hope into our friendships, into our daily existence, which, if we're honest, often becomes predictable and repetitive and even mundane. If we're honest, sometimes we feel like we get up and we do the same thing day after day after day after day, and we wonder, where's the, where's the newness? Where's the... Where's the uh, Where's the, where's the joy? Today we light the third candle on the Advent wreath, which is the candle of joy. We started with hope. Last week we talked about peace, and today it's joy. The prophet Micah foretells the birth of Christ by saying, He shall judge between many people and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, and neither shall they learn war anymore. Jesus brings peace. And last Sunday we talked about how if we want to find peace, we better learn how to develop a prayer life, we better learn how to forgive, and we should learn how to live by the golden rule. But today we turn to Luke's gospel, which is perhaps the most famous account of Christ's birth, or at least it's the one that, that most people go to read and study at Christmas pageants and, and things like that. Found in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph had traveled from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem to be a part of the census mandated by Caesar Augustus. They made what was roughly the 75, 80-mile journey very late in Mary's pregnancy, and while they were in Bethlehem, it came time for Mary to deliver her child. Because of the census, Bethlehem was crowded, overcrowded, with travelers, and so the only place where they could find to sleep was in a stable that was behind the inn. And so they set up camp in the stable, and that's where Christ was born.
Now Luke also includes in his account that there were shepherds living in the fields far away, watching their flocks by night, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were absolutely terrified. That was until they heard the wonderful news, do not be afraid, I am bringing you good news of a great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You shall find the babe wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And so the shepherds went with haste to Bethlehem. And when they arrived, sure enough, they found Mary and Joseph and the newborn child lying in the manger. What is joy? And how do we experience joy at Christmas? What did the angel mean when he said, I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people? Almost five years ago, in the spring of 2015, Archbishop Desmond Tutu traveled to Dar, I'll never get this word right, Dharmashala, India, to spend a week or 10 days with the Dalai Lama, who was celebrating his, uh, his 80th birthday. And so these two men wanted to reconnect after years of being apart, and then their exchange was captured and published in a, an amazing book called The Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness in a Changing World. If you're looking for a, a last-minute Christmas gift, uh, order that one off Amazon. It's good. But it's a great book because both of these men have incredible insight into what it means to experience joy in life, especially in the face of hardship and suffering. The Dalai Lama says, everyone seeks happiness, joyfulness, but they do it from the outside, from money, from power, from big car, from big house. Most people never pay much attention to the ultimate source of a happy life, which is the inside, not the outside, it's the heart. See, both of these men were committed to a dialogue about what it means to bring about peace and joy. Because inner peace and joy are connected, right? Just like faith and hope are connected. But we have to understand that there has always been a fundamental difference between happiness and joy. You know, happiness in life is fleeting. It's tied to circumstances that are out of our control. It's a pretty day. It's a nice vacation. It's a promotion at work. But happiness seems to come and go. As soon as we think we have it, it's gone. It it doesn't stay, right? But joy has always been much deeper. We don't necessarily have to be happy to experience joy. In fact, we can be sad and experience joy. And and sometimes we can't explain the things in life that, that give us our sense of inner joy But real joy is overwhelming. It's all-encompassing. It's a feeling deep within our core that although there may be problems in life, although there may be hurt in life, although there may be pain and suffering in life, everything is going to be okay. And it's really actually hard to explain. You can't really explain joy. You can just feel it deep within your core. So in that book... These two men identify eight pillars of joy. And I want to lift these up because I have yet to find a list that is uh, more complete when it comes to how we can capture joy in the Christmas season. So these are the eight pillars that they lift up. The first is perspective. It's the way you see the world. It's the way you see any situation that you might be in. 
Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, once said that we may not choose our circumstances, but we always get to choose how we're going to respond and see our circumstances. Two people can be experiencing the exact same thing, but depending on their perspective, depending on their worldview, one of them may be in a much better place. And so sometimes in our lives, the best thing we can do is just change our perspective and look at things differently. The second pillar is humility. The Dalai Lama says so many people seem to struggle with being kind to themselves. And this is sad. If you don't have genuine love and kindness towards yourself, then how can you go and extend it to others? Recognizing our own limitations and weaknesses can be a good thing, a healthy thing. Uh, David Brooks puts it this way in his book, The Road to Character. He says, humility is the greatest virtue. Humility reminds you that you are not the center of the universe. Pride blinds us to our own weaknesses, and it misleads us into thinking that we are better than we actually are. But Jesus said, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. The third pillar is laughter. See, during their visit, these two men laughed all the time. They laughed with each other. They laughed at each other. Laughter is one of the, the best medicines for the pain of life. It's why I've been friends with Donovan for like 15 years, right? Laughter is the shortest distance between two people. Too many people take life far too seriously. And when you do that, the joy gets sucked right out. And so it's important sometimes to just laugh at yourself. Laughter is good for the soul. It's healthy. The fourth pillar is acceptance. Learning to accept life and all of its pain and imperfection and beauty. Acceptance is the opposite of resignation and defeat. A big part of the spiritual life, I think, is learning to accept the things that happen to us, to not live a life of denial. The Dalai Lama said that our stress and our anxiety comes from our expectations of how our life should be. So many of the causes of our suffering come from our reacting to the people and the places and the things and the circumstances in our lives rather than just accepting them. When we react, we stay locked in judgment and criticism, anxiety and despair, even denial and addiction. Sometimes, you know, we, when it comes to our family, we wish that our family members were different than they are. And we want to change them, and we want them to be the person that we want them to be. But life might be easier if we would just accept them for who they are and what they are. It's impossible to experience joy if you're stuck denying things. Acceptance is a recognition that we can't control everything, and sometimes it's just better to come to terms with the way things are. The fifth pillar we talked about last week, it's forgiveness which is freeing ourselves from the past. Forgiveness does not mean that we forget. We should remember that the negative things, the things that have hurt us, but because there is a possibility to develop hatred and resentment, we shouldn't be allowed to go in that direction. We must choose to forgive and to let go. And forgiving doesn't mean that we simply accept people's wrongdoing. It means that we don't hold on to it forever and just keep ourselves in a prison. And so failing to forgive, somebody once said, or resentment in life is like drinking the poison and waiting on somebody else to die. The sixth pillar is gratitude. Both the Christian and the Buddhist traditions, perhaps all spiritual traditions, recognize the importance of living a grateful life. 
It allows us to shift our perspective towards our many blessings and away from the things that we lack. It moves us away from the narrow-minded focus on fault and lack into a wider perspective of benefit and abundance. As Paul says so eloquently, give thanks in all circumstances because grateful people are joyful people. The seventh pillar is compassion. Jesus had compassion. The Dalai Lama said, too much self-centered thinking is the source of suffering. A compassionate concern for others' well-being is the source of happiness. We are most joyful in life when we focus on other people and not on ourselves. Bringing joy to others is the fastest way to experience joy in our own lives. Remember Jesus' words, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I I was a stranger and you welcomed me. He said, just as you did it to the least of these who are members of my family, brothers and sisters in Christ, you did it to me. Before we can be compassionate, we first must develop empathy for the pain and struggles that other people have. The final pillar that these two men share is generosity. And remember, generosity involves both time and money, not just one or the other. Generous people experience joy on a regular basis. When we have a generous spirit, others will want to be around us. We radiate happiness, and our very company can bring joy to others. And we all know that Christmas is a season of giving, and it's a season of thinking about others, supporting others, helping others, showing mercy to others. These are the eight pillars of joy, according to Bishop Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Perspective, humility, laughter, acceptance, forgiveness, gratitude, compassion, and generosity. And so I challenge you to think about these things as they pertain to your life, especially as we draw close to Christmas. The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. Life is not full of happy times. There is pain and loss and disappointment. But in the midst of any of that, joy is still possible because joy is much deeper. It's in our soul. And joy is found in the little things. You know, dinner with the family singing Christmas carols, tucking children into bed at night, driving around looking at Christmas lights, even saying goodbye to a friend that we've loved and lost. Amen.